0: Hello, all, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Raffolino. I'm an editor with Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great land of ours is the one, the only, the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom,
1: welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Rich. It's um, it's another exciting day in wherever land we're in right now.
0: We are. We are in the uh, the United uh, States of quarantine A little bit, I guess. In Ohio, we're kind of emerging from those states. Anyway, it gets complicated real quick. But what doesn't get complicated, actually it does sometimes, is the IT News of the Week. Specifically, we are going to be talking about... Microsoft Build just happened, uh, I think it's still technically happening, it's like a three-day event, they do all sorts of live, they're doing all sorts of live webinars this year, uh, I think they've done, a, it seems like they've done a really good job of converting it to a remote event, uh, but there's just so much news coming out of that that I thought uh, it would be interesting to talk about, so you ready to get uh, get some uh, some Redmond news on here, Tom, and talk about Microsoft Build stuff? Sure. So let's get started with a little something called News or Not. This is where there's just too much stuff. A big show like this, there's lots of announcements coming out. Don't have time for a full discussion on each, so we're going to do News or Not and get Tom's take, whether they're in fact newsy or not. First up here is something, uh, Microsoft launched a public preview of Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare, the latest edition of its industry cloud offerings. They do this for highly specific verticals and kind of uh, uh, specifically cater a lot of their services to that industry. This will include a healthcare bot service for answering common patient questions, a book app that will allow patients to uh, schedule virtual visits within Teams and support for using Dynamics 365 marketing and customer service tools to create and monitor custom care plans on a per patient level. Lots of other small tweaks kind of to this industry cloud for for healthcare specific service, but Tom, news or not?
1: I think it's news just because there's been so much I don't know, focus on healthcare recently. It's it's really paying off. If you if you were looking at healthcare as a vertical, boy, all it took was a pandemic.
0: <laughs> well, and I really feel like this is how Microsoft is uh, differentiating Azure, right? Is doing these yeah. very industry specific clouds and being like, Hey, it it's your one stop shop. Here's all the tools, here's all the things, just plug in plug in plug and play. I guess is not something Microsoft really wants to go back to, but uh, you get the idea. Yeah. Next up here, Microsoft is getting in on the individual CRM or uh, maybe database as a service market with lists, which lets users track issues, assets, routines, contacts, inventory, and more using customizable views and smart rules to uh, keep alerts and to keep everyone in sync. It comes with templates for your workflows, for uh, pre-existing things for a number of different uh, scenarios, support uh, for setting conditional rules so you won't get notified about something until another task is completed. And unsurprisingly, it integrates with teams. Hey, seems like they're keen on that as well as sharepoint some other services it'll launch on the web this summer with mobile apps by the end of 2020 microsoft seems like they're going after airtable or maybe even trello with this uh news or not here tom
1: boy it's going to be really really hard to unseat those incumbents i mean think about the number of people who have trello workflows right now and if you don't have a way to easily export from trello into something else that's great now net new sure you integrate it with teams and all these other things and hey we're just going to give you a thing right Okay, cool. Make that happen. Um, I don't know. I I worry about the number of people who are just trying to reinvent the wheel with a different coat of paint. But if that's your stock and horse, man, go for it.
0: Microsoft gets productivity. I'm never betting against Microsoft when it comes to productivity. They can be, they they have been wrong in the past, but like new OSs, I am always on the fence with Microsoft productivity. I don't question. Uh, Trello is Should talk to Slack, maybe, about how that's going. Uh, Next up here, Microsoft announced that Windows Package Manager is coming to Windows 10, a first-party Windows Package Manager. This will be available on the command line using the new WinGet command, Microsoft Command Line Package Manager. I don't know what's happening here, Tom. Microsoft will maintain a first-party repository with popular apps and allow users uh, to integrate with third-party repositories as well. Windows Package Manager will be available in Windows 10 once it hits version 1.0, and users can get it early either through window, window Insider builds or by downloading from GitHub. News are not here, Tom.
1: Hold on a second. Okay, Microsoft built a Command Line Package Manager, and the sky's not red, so it's not <laughs> Armageddon yet. Um, yay? Yay? Finally, somebody's listening and I know we're going to get to that in just a minute, but you know, (laughs) this is not something that people are, you know, this is shocking, but it's needed. So good, good job, guys.
0: Yeah. Um, any way to make, I mean, the new terminal app that Microsoft put out there, Windows terminal app is really great. And I'm glad to see they're actually giving it some teeth to make it, you know, Windows command line has traditionally been this kind of meh. I'm glad to see it's getting more usable. Microsoft launched the public beta of Project Bonzai, a platform for building aut- autonomous industrial control systems. This essentially opens Azure to be used to help simulate and train control systems for autonomous robotic systems. It uses hierarchical deep reinforcement learning to break down complex tasks into extremely simple components and then train the system to complete those tasks before combining them. Uh, some, there are some other workflows where basically it's like open learning where you would set something free and just kind of figures it out as it goes. Uh, news are now here, Tom, for Project Bonzai.
1: Oh, man, I don't know how I feel about this. First of all, you named it after a tree. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, I believe it was after they acquired a company called Bonsai that uh, did this, and they're kind of integrating this uh, further into Azure.
1: Why, why? Why are you? Why are you naming your stuff after trees? <laughs> I okay. So this ultimately, and we see a lot of these announcements when they come out of of, of conferences like this. What you're building is the most boring thing in the world that will be a revenue stream for the rest of time. Uh, this is this is like a buggy whip. It's like okay, great. <laughs> you, five people are going to buy this and they'll pay rent on it forever. So bravo! But you know, I, I want to see the return on investment of what it was costing to develop this versus what kind of revenue stream they're expecting to get out of it.
0: Yeah, it's five customers, but I feel like all those customers are like in the Fortune 100. So like, <laughs> they're like super. <laughs> it's yeah. like Deloitte and everybody else. So uh, we will see going forward from there. Uh, uh, okay, Tom, you might need to check the sky again because Microsoft is adding GPU apps support and hardware acceleration to the Windows subsystem for Linux, letting users run GUI Linux apps rather than just CLI apps like it's previously been able to. This is enabled without using X11 forwarding and should allow developers to run Linux IDEs seamlessly within Windows. News now or sign of the apocalypse, Tom?
1: Dude, if you keep doing this, Rip Hunter is going to appear in a time portal and be like, stop it! Except in an English accent because he's Rip Hunter. Um, the, okay, I, I dig this. I dig that Microsoft is not just paying lip service to what they're doing with Linux and command line and package management stuff. This kind of reminds me, and I'm I'm really going to date myself with this, when Novell stopped developing on the network kernel and pulled into Linux. Now, the difference is, is that they went whole hog and basically shredded themselves. I feel like Microsoft is taking a more wait-and-see approach and slowly integrating pieces in there. I I hope in the future what we're going to get is a better operating system overall, but not some kind of weird, wacky hybrid. I almost said the B word. Um, (laughs) Good on them for doing this, but I need a roadmap. I want to see where this is headed. I want to see what the end game is.
0: You know, Microsoft has famously said that Windows 10 will be the last version of Windows, I think indicating that they're just going to continually update it and keep the name as Windows 10. But I wonder if the the last stage of Windows 10 is, oh, and it, by the way, it's open source. Whew, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to expect from Microsoft and open source anymore. It's very bizarre. Uh, Next up here, Microsoft announced Azure Synapse Link, which uses hybrid transaction and analytical processing, uh, letting organizations use the same database system for analytical and transactional workloads on a single system without over-provisioning. This builds off of the Azure Synapse Analytics, Microsoft's uh, SQL data warehouse, and lets organizations get insights from data without having to build an, an extract, transform, and load or ETL pipeline. News are not here, Tom
1: it's news for the five people that are going to buy it. Um, And and I say that it it sounds like I'm being a snarky jackass. And well, you know, that's the case. Hi, you know me. Um, But but, I mean, this is not like, hey, we're adopting like some kind of crazy new workflow automation or something like that. I I get it. This is going to be exciting to somebody else. It's just not exciting to me.
0: All right. And that just about brings us to the end of News or Now. Wanted to get into our discussion. And this isn't Actually, an announcement from Microsoft Build. It is a Microsoft announcement. Uh, But uh, at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, uh, their uh, Microsoft President Brad Smith used to be legal counsel and stuff like that for them uh, throughout kind of the some of the evil empire days uh, with the company, uh, uh, and said that Microsoft was on the wrong side of history when open source exploded at the beginning of the century, Uh, while Microsoft is a far cry from where it was in the '90s, early 2000s. Former CEO Steve. Where former CEO Steve Ballmer did call Linux a cancer and tried to sue it out of existence, and basically was pretty hostile to the whole open source community. Given that, so that kind of whole history, and and I think for a lot of people in IT, when you say Microsoft, that's still the default, and you have to remind you have to kind of pinch yourself, be like, oh yeah, they like you can just run any Linux distro you want in Windows now. That's just totally weird. But given all of that, uh you know, they're the largest open source code contributor. More, you know They, they own GitHub. It's like synonymous with open source. How long is it going to be for that evil empire image to kind of go away as the default for Microsoft, Tom?
1: So that's weird. Um, I have this problem. And so, disclaimer, I used to be an IBMer. I was a co-op there for like, six or seven months. And there was a recurring theme that people would always mention in these discussions. This is not Tom Watson's IBM. Uh, Referring back to the fact that when Tom Watson originally founded International Business Machines, they did one thing or two things, and they did it a certain way and blah, blah, blah. What you see as IBM today is actually not Tom Watson's IBM. It's IBM Global Services that has sold off all of the hardware and all the other stuff so even though the name is the same it's a different company same thing with at&t at&t today is not ma bell and mm-hmm. all of that crap it's actually southwestern bell that has acquired a whole bunch of other stuff they just changed the name over to at&t i am on i'm i'm really on the fence about this this is not bill gates's microsoft and this is definitely not steve Ballmer's microsoft this is a thing that looks that says microsoft on the placard but it is not microsoft and that's not negative i will be honest with you when i was years ago i was uh, the person who read up on microsoft and was running windows 3.1 windows 95 blah 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 blah, whatever and then i kind of got off on them for a while i'm pro microsoft now but what i'm pro of is not what they're doing like like it's their organization. It's their culture. It's the way they're embracing new technology. Microsoft's old adage was "kill it before it can kill us," and this is essentially the Dread Pirate Roberts sipping iocane powder. That which can kill me can't kill me if I don't. T- if I if I build up a tolerance to it, and then I can kill all the Sicilians I need. It's <laughs> it's it's them learning what makes them better, not everything we do is what makes us good and anything that's not what we do is bad.
0: Yeah, you know, I think when uh, Ballmer left and, you know, Sachin Nadella kind of took over the company, you know, there was a lot of talk about moving to services. and They had made some moves uh, to that effect already. I think part of the the narrative that Microsoft now likes to push is that, you know, it's a totally new company and, you know, Nadella's leadership has really pushed the company. He certainly has, but That wouldn't have been possible if they hadn't been in the the works for several years to kind of set the table for that uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, uh, to to throw out another cliche here, turning that battleship, that's a that's a big turn from Windows on like put Windows on everything. It can only be Windows, uh, you know, uh, and to be like that platform play, as opposed to really, truly embracing the idea of we're a services company now. Who cares what it runs on or who cares what runs on our stuff or let's you know and 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 not to say that oh they're this benevolence company and you know it's all unicorns and rainbows it's not they're doing that because they think that's the best way to get value for their shareholders if you want to be the most cynical about it but you know they they see where the industry is going uh and and they're they're going you know they're not fighting that current uh anymore uh and really playing to their strengths which is turns out developers 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 you
1: had to do that didn't you
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, I did. I, I definitely had to. You don't see it. I'm flop sweating right now. Uh, another interesting announcement coming out of this, uh, if we want to, uh, I guess we do want to keep going forward. Uh, Sony recently announced a, a new chip called the IMX500. It's an image sensor. Sony, by the way, is an image sensor company that happens to make a PlayStation and some movies. Uh, it's designed for use uh, industrial uses and includes onboard AI processing engine for machine learning tasks, specifically computer vision. Sony claims that this can run a basic image recognition algorithm on a frame of video in three milliseconds. If you're running at 24 frames a second, that means each frame lasts 40 milliseconds. So they can definitely do real time image processing, is basically what that means for at least a basic image recognition algorithm. Microsoft is now announced that it will embed uh, Microsoft Azure AI capabilities onto the chip to power that image processing. The company announced that they will uh, release a smart camera managed app powered by Azure IoT and cognitive services to support the integration and provide additional analytics. So basically you do that basic recognition on there. You do something for, you know, uh, one example they said is, hey, if you want to check to see if people are maintaining social distance, it can do that basic algorithm and then you can send that information back to the cloud, do some more advanced analytics on their um admittedly, with more latency. So it will also allow software uh, uh, vendors to load the chip with their own machine learning and models isn't like an exclusive partnership or anything like that. But real-time image recognition on the edge with deep cloud integration for more advanced analytics. What could go
1: wrong, Tom? Uh, I have a huge list right over here off camera. (laughs) Uh, Also, it's next to the bottle of alcohol that I'm going to start doing shots every time we have an AI or ML story in here. I think your job is to get me day drunk. Uh, (laughs) So this is good and bad this is kind of where i want ai and ml to go Mm. real-time inline image processing and if you don't believe that image processing doesn't make a world of difference if you have an iphone 10 10s or 11 turn on portrait mode and that little feature where it does it like beautifies portraits that's basically inline real-time image processing i mean i took a picture the other day and i look like george clooney so it's really good I didn't
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> You're both Val Kilmer guy. Anyway,
1: imagine this. Yeah. We're, we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> this is, um, this is something that I think is very interesting for the, for not for pictures, for video inline video tweaking. If you can do frame analysis in three milliseconds, you absolutely, you know, like you said, can do this in a, a movie picture. So imagine doing all of your final cut stuff in the camera. Well, of course, the camera is going to cost a bazillion dollars. But (laughs) I mean, I I like the application. I worry that someone's going to get creative and make a real-time deepfake image system.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that really does open up a lot of possibilities, but basically opening up that program, you know, having that programmability on the chip for those AI applications, I think is really interesting. I, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, you know, you can do anything with video uh, once you put throw enough computing power at it. Right. But the idea that, you know, not only is, you know, you can, you have a sensor that can do 8k or, you know, 240 frames a second or something like that. But now to add in that analytic capability and then Microsoft to kind of realize Hey, this is like the ideal, one of the ideal, especially like industrial IoT, I can really see this having a lot of, uh, you know, like imagine you have a camera that's just pointed at a conveyor belt and you can say, okay, here's what like an acceptable thing coming off that conveyor belt can look like, here's not, you can automatically to the second, as soon as it sees it kind of identify stuff, I can just see all sorts of workloads like that. Uh, uh, you know, across a number of enterprise use cases, and this is like version one, right? This is yeah. this is the first sensor. There will be every other industrial sensor that ever comes out for video is or at some point is going to have this capability. And uh, again, um, one of these interesting services that Microsoft is building out with Azure IoT, uh, and and putting that right on the edge, and p- some pretty powerful computing uh, capabilities on there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: Next up here, uh, speaking of productivity, again. I don't bet against Microsoft when it comes to productivity. I'm interested. This this is like putting that to the test right here. Microsoft detailed a new type of Office doc called Fluid, which provides a they which they are kind of framing as a Lego block like framework of resources that can be edited in real time by anyone in the app. The idea is that you could put uh, these Fluid pieces in emails, chats, or other apps. You can kind of have a a source a Fluid source and kind of paste this anywhere you want it, and then as you update it wherever you have pasted it or wherever you have put it, embedded it, whatever you have, is getting updated in real time. So when you open up that email, that chart that you put in there, that pie graph is getting updated in real time. Microsoft will also open source the fluid framework to foster its adoption in other apps. Again, this new Microsoft, not surprising. Microsoft plans to roll out uh, slowly uh, this new fluid feature to office.com and Outlook on the web in the next few months going to be on Microsoft Teams by the end of the year and on desktop apps next year. The idea is to create an atomic unit of productivity, which is a very Microsoft way of putting it, that can be tied to wherever they're needed rather than locking them into a specific file format and finding ways to share that. So basically... uh, I've seen a lot of this discussion being like Google Docs does, does the sharing stuff the best in terms of like sharing and collaboration, right? If you're going to have this thing called a Word doc that's supposed to represent you typing on a typewriter on a piece of paper, they do the sharing of that the best. And this is kind of taking a look back and saying, why are we being locked into that metaphor when what we really care about is the sharing and the collaboration? And this is kind of Microsoft answer to that. So based on that, Tom, we haven't seen this in action yet, but based on that, is this Google Docs on steroids or Google Wave 2.0?
1: Microsoft just containerized Office when you think about it. <laughs> and that, that is kind of neat. Brilliant.
0: That's brilliant.
1: It, well, not only that, but when you break it down like that, it also means that you can do really interesting things with it. So I go far enough back that I used to own that really big, thick Windows Secrets book that I also used to like smash spiders. <laughs> and there was like a chapter dedicated to describing object linking and embedding, which was fascinating reading for thirteen year old me, which would also explain why I didn't have a whole lot of friends. But this <laughs> is like Olay on steroids because now I don't just have a frame of something that lives in another frame of a document; it can live there and live update. That's awesome. So yeah, I like what they're doing with this, and I like the ideas behind it. I, I, I of course, you know, rubber meets the road. The Office team may not like this. So we'll see what happens, but if, uh, okay, let's just put it this way. If all this does is make online office a whole lot easier to use thumbs up because (laughs) except for Google sheets, like the rest of Google is a train wreck. Everybody still uses word docs and PowerPoints, fix it. And people, if you containerize it, people will show up.
0: If you containerize people will come that's a that's a brilliant way and you may see a a favorites post on gestaltit.com titled Microsoft containerizes office uh, in the near future so Tom thank you for that. Uh, And finally here our last uh, little bit of uh, stuff from build and there were again ton of different announcements we may uh, even cover some more of those next week and you know as these come out over the next couple days and kind of coverage gets out there unfortunately i was not able to kind of watch some a lot of the proceedings uh, as they were going on live stream but microsoft announced a public preview of azure arc enabled kubernetes which allows its users to configure and manage kubernetes clusters across their data centers edge locations and public clouds including in gcp and uh, and uh, aws This allows organizations not just to uh, manage containerized workloads from Arc, but also bring services like Azure SQL Database to other platforms built on a similar backend to Azure Stack. So instead of having Azure in your data center, you could have Azure you know, anywhere you have compute resources to throw at it. Basically, it's no secret that hybrid and multi-cloud are the new hotness for a lot of enterprises. You know, you can get any kind of any, any briefing you're on anymore is going to have buzzword bingo for hybrid and multi-cloud. But from a public cloud perspective, does Arc stand out from something like Google Anthos or AWS's Outpost hybrid play? And does this show maybe a little bit of real anxiety about cloud lock-in from real customers, Tom?
1: I I don't know, because cloud lock-in is like this. It's like the boogeyman. It's the myth that people tell when there's something else that's bothering them. (laughs) Because cloud lock-in is as real as you want it to be. But the flip side is you're not doing yourself any favors by trying to avoid it. I mean, you know, it's it's like if you wanted to build a, a home desktop PC and not use any proprietary parts or not use any whatever's from from c- certainly or I didn't want to buy any parts that were manufactured in China, you can mm-hmm. do it, it's going to cost you four times as much and you're not going to be happy with your results because they're not going to be the best things that you can buy. So, like, okay, great. And I, I kind of feel like the fact that you said that, you know, there's Anthos and Outpost. And now Microsoft has something that competes with that. That feels like it's a table stakes discussion. It's not a uh, revolutionizing discussion. Uh, so, I mean, what's the ultimate play? Is it just, we want to offer this solution to Azure developers, users? Do, are we really hoping to like get people to drop what they're using in GCP and, and Amazon and come over to us now? I, I, don't, I don't see the value here. Not to say there's not value, but I could probably count the number of people who actually legitimately have a multi-cloud solution for whatever reason on this hand (laughs) and still have fingers left.
0: Well, I can see the use case, you know, running Azure SQL database, you know, they throw that out there. It's like, you could run it on Google cloud. You could run it, you know, you could run it on AWS. And it's like from an availability standpoint, I could see maybe from a, you know, from a multi-cloud perspective, okay, you don't want the East coast region of Azure, whatever the equivalent is to, you know, to go down and you lose that you're counting on that. So, okay. The odds of Azure and AWS and GCP being down, we can have that running somewhere else and, and have a really great availability story. I don't see that actually solving the cloud lock-in problem because it's like if you if you go away from Azure, you go away from Azure SQL database and you yep. still have that exact same you still the exact same problem. So, like from an availability standpoint, I, I think this is really interesting from Microsoft kind of taking that IP from Azure Stack and saying, If if we can do Azure in your data center, we can do Azure in other clouds, as clunky maybe as that seems. Uh, I, I think there is value there. But the story isn't avoiding cloud lock and the story is uh, availability and and kind of, you know, it's kind of mitigating risk, uh, for lack of a better term, which is really what a lot of, you know, I think what a lot of people are realizing that cloud is good for. Like cloud is not actually like all that great when it comes to like reducing costs or something or, you know, or, or, you know like being budget conscious or something like that. It changes the dynamics of how you spend your money. I don't think it necessarily uh, is is an absolute way to reduce it, regardless of whether you're locked in or anything like that.
1: There's actually, there's a really great uh, discussion that a friend of mine, Justin Warren, who was a recent delegate at Security Pill Day 3 and Club Bill Day 7 did. Um, I, I want to put it in the show notes. It was uh, why people choose cloud, and it had absolutely nothing to do with cost. It had everything to do with productivity and process. And <laughs> my favorite is why people are bad at math. So, um, <laughs> but, but that's a fascinating, like, 25-minute video that you should totally watch. That If you are at all curious about why people pick cloud, that's why. And then once you know why people pick cloud, you, Rich, you were exactly spot on. If people are going to pick an Azure database, they don't want to run Azure in AWS. They want to run it, I'm sorry, not Azure. They don't want to run a, data, a Microsoft database in AWS. They want to mm-hmm. run it on Azure where it works. If they're going to run it in AWS, they'll pick an AWS native version. The idea of I want one software that can run everywhere is is a unicorn. It's not going to happen because what your what's your hope i'm going to build this platform on you know some kind of like i don't know cassandra and then i can run it wherever i want whatever's cheapest during that day yeah you're in for a world of hurt buddy because your survivability has to manage you know swinging it to aws when spot pricing is super low and then swinging it back over to gcp for a month while aws is at peak pricing yeah if you can build that system you should not be shaving pennies with this solution (laughs)
0: Well, and that brings up I'm trying to remember it was a Cloud Field Day delegate uh from a, maybe a year or two ago. And I am oh I, his name is escaping me now. It's really annoying me. But he brought up this really good point that a lot of multi-cloud dreams like that, right? Where you can just seamlessly move these workloads and stuff like that. The only way that works is if you dumb like you you strip out every kind of feature that kind of makes that cloud worth it and you play to the the lowest common denominator across all of those clouds. And it's like, okay, that can work. But then you're losing all sorts of efficiency. You're losing all sorts of capability that could have meaning. You know that could be more meaningful than being able to transfer that workload. Um, also, I mean, it's another thing that they can charge you for <laughs> at the end of yeah. the day. But that's going to be stuff you're going to have to build yourself or that, that vendor is going to, that vendor, whoever is creating that integration to spread it across the card is going to have to build that back in. And it's probably not going to work as well or be as updated uh, or get new features as quickly as possible. So, you know, again, is it, is it a solution in search of a problem? Uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think that that comes in with like vendor lock in, like anxiety about vendor lock in in general is like, it's it's an understandable impulse of like being willing to be like i have choices i don't have to always go with azure i don't always have to go with aws or whatever you want to call uh but at the end of the day is this like how for a lot of businesses it's like okay fine but we're able to do business and it doesn't bankrupt us and you know we're, we're able to do the thing we're supposed to do um regardless of your anxiety about it yeah Well, that just about brings us to the end of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Tom, thank you so much uh, for being here. This was a really cool discussion. Uh, Again, lots of Microsoft Build news. We'll we'll cover the whole field uh, again next week. Where can people find more of your great stuff if they're so inclined?
1: The easiest place to do it is going to be check out uh, gestaltit.com uh, i have literally been typing my fingers into small <laughs> tiny nub trying to cover all the stuff that's been going on and there has been a lot the world hasn't stopped just because we're all stuck at home it's just migrated into home with us so um you know between uh, learning about cool new technologies that are launching and trying to keep my toaster and my uh refrigerator from starting a ddos attack against my ironing <laughs> board it's been rather interesting but um you know we just finished security kill day we have a couple of cool events coming up with cisco and aruba um so there's going to be a lot of great content coming out about that uh you can also tune in for some of our uh, other additional content uh, i'm already actively working on my third episode of conversations and i'll give you a hint it's all about people Ooh,
0: I'm, in, I'm interested. You can find that at uh, youtube.com slash video, where you can also find Checksum, our new video. Uh, it's kind of a video essay series, I guess. That's kind of a dorky way to <laughs> to promote it. Uh, but it's something that uh, I've been doing recently, and we're going to have some other contributors on it over time. Uh, just kind of kind of breaking down some of the news of the day and providing some more context around that. Really excited to be doing that as well. You can find my writing also at gestaltit.com. We'll be back next Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, running down the IT News of the Week. You can Remember, find us on YouTube. You can watch it live there. Find it later on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Gestalt IT. And you can subscribe to it as a podcast. Uh, Just search for Gestalt IT Rundown in your podcatcher of choice. Until Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. next week, for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for all of us here in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day.